Welcome to the One-Shot Test Kitchen. Today's episode, Spoken Magic. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One-Shot Test Kitchen, where we try out and review tabletop RPGs. I'm Samara, and with me today is the wonderful Mike. Hello, hello. Sadly, April Lynn is not with us today, but that just means that Mike and I get to bring a new player into the fold, and I could think of no one better than my friend Chris, who is always game to play uh, the character of very special guest star (laughs) in all of my RPGs. Uh, Hello, Chris. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me, Sam and Mike. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Anytime. So one thing that we like to ask folks who come on to this here pod is what is your experience with RPGs, tabletop or otherwise? I'm pretty boring and pretty vanilla. So like a lot of the stuff I've done is is D&D or D&D based. Um, that was how I started like as a kid. Um, I mm-hmm. played a lot with actually your last guest, Brendan, as a kid doing AD&D back in the day. And also like today or nowadays, i play random imaginary D&D style games with my kids uh, out in the yard or also when I have adult actual adults to play with I'll you know play <laughs> skirmish tactic kind of war style games so that's that's probably who's better at role playing your adult friends or the kids oh the kids for sure like they, they <laughs> can get lost in that in a heartbeat it is a lot cleaner that's for sure so I don't know <laughs> it depends on your definition of fun I suppose <laughs> are they more creative yeah, no, they they will get lost in that world, and the and the best part is it just doesn't end when I'm done. It's like, oh no, we're <laughs> gonna play this at the dinner table, and we're gonna play it at breakfast, and then we're gonna play it at lunch. And oh, didn't you want to play that again today too? Yeah, I mean, it's really exciting and also really like probably very annoying, but um, to be around, you know, kids that are creating whole worlds and immersing themselves in them. It is fun to watch them come up with all of that stuff on the fly and go in directions I could never have even possibly imagined. Well, hopefully you can imagine it today because we're going to play a game that is mostly based on that type of uh, role playing, really leaning into the collaborative storytelling element of tabletop RPGs and a little bit out of some of the kind of tactical like board games and war games that you were talking about. So today we're playing a game called Spoken Magic that was developed by Dylan Grinder. I paid $15 for the Roll20 plugin, and so can you. Um, I did it so that we could play together remotely, but you can also directly download it for $15 at anarisis.itch.io slash spoken dash magic. I'm going to read what Dylan has written in the game rules um, just to give a brief overview, and then we'll talk about expectations. So you carry within you a great power, power that can shape the land and safeguard you against its waiting dangers. But to wield that power, you must give it shape and meaning through your words. Spoken Magic is a prompt-based collaborative storytelling game for one to four players. The game guides you on a journey through magical lands where you will encounter strange dilemmas that can only be solved through magic, a process that has players sharing their words of power to craft a spell appropriate for the task. Throughout this journey, you will investigate the purpose of magic, explore the conflicting desires for safety and heroism, and learn the true nature of your very own magic words. Um, 
And Mike, this was written in a 24-hour game jam, similar to Mm. the one that we participated in earlier this year. That game jam was the March of the Wizards 2019 game jam that was hosted by RPG Design Friends as part of the 12 months, 12 jams. Hashtag 12 jams. So yeah, so this is the game. That's a hell (laughs) of a pedigree. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Can't beat that intro. (laughs) So yeah, this is the game that I picked for us today. It definitely leans more into like the world building aspect, kind of feels a little bit more like um, quiet year Mm dialect-y in nature. And Mike, I was telling you and Chris before we started recording that this is the first time that I have ever watched a real play of a game that we're trying on this pod. How dare Um, you? I know, cheater. (laughs) I watched the game designer Dylan and the people at Roll20 play it because I just wanted to get a sense of how the rules ran. And um, yeah, I'm excited. I think it's it's really going to be, my expectations are really just that they're a little tainted by watching that. But I think that really the essence of this game is settling into the world that we're building together as wizards who are from a place that have to leave it and like define their magic along the way. Um, and I think it really will hinge on just how much we get into sort of the novella that we will tell together. But it, it seems exciting. Those are kind of my expectations. Mike, do you have any going into this? I mean, uh, mine are sort of similar. Like, you know, the touchstones that you mentioned uh, about dialect uh, in particular, like this, this seems to have more of a focus on words and language and things like that, which... I very much like diving into in games specifically as a kind of a facet of world building, like the world building aspect of this. I'm, I'm not sure how strong it is, but I am interested in understanding how it, how the world is built around the core of the magic system that we're going to be building here. So I've been on a little bit of a world building kick lately, just because uh, one of my favorite worlds just got recently adapted to a TV show, the wheel of time. Oh yeah. And that is like, a lot, a lot of world building. So I'm going in on that. And uh, one of the authors, the wheel of time has a whole lecture series about uh, world building and how to, how to go about it in a very uh, interesting way. Brandon Sanderson, if you want to take a look, but what the thing that kind of interests me is like how the world grows out from kind of the core conceit, um, which mm. in this case is going to be the magic system. And I'm really interested to see uh, what kind of world we build around it. Oh, so you're like perfectly primed for this. You've just been geeking out on like mythos and like (laughs) civilization advancement. (laughs) I mean, I always kind of am, to be fair. Like, you know, ask me anything about the history of destiny and I can tell you that too. Okay, can I just, as sidebar, okay, as somebody who's into the mythos of the game destiny, like where are you getting that? Is that just in game or is there like extra content that you can read if you're really into that world? That that is a long conversation, but suffice <laughs> to say, um, it's in game, but uh, in game in not a really great way until very recently. Oh, cool! Uh, it okay. was like it was like like lore entries you would read that are like little novella, not even novella, like short little things uh, or weapon descriptions or stuff like that. And yeah, you get it that way. But I remember picking all those little things up, skimming through it, and hitting close. And I feel like now <laughs> yep. I would probably definitely take a deeper dive on some of those reads, just because I also have found myself a lot more interested in that aspect of like, <laughs> style games uh, than maybe I was when I was really just looking forward to like a loot shooter, you know. Whereas now, yeah. I'm like, oh, you actually have some cool concepts. 
Yeah, it's definitely like there's been a cottage industry because the game is not really great at telling the story. Um, there's a number of YouTubers who will release videos about various different aspects of the lore and actually explain what the hell is going on in the game at any given moment. And, you know, these rich, elaborate backstories of characters that are central to the world yet appear nowhere in the game. So, like, uh, but again, all that to say is that, like, I really appreciate the world building around uh, a lot of these things. And I hope there's a way to, like, you know, create an interesting world here. Yeah, for sure. Just like, you know, people, that's why you read the books in Skyrim, right? Is it gives it gives texture to a world? Is it's interesting to see how you, you know, build worlds up from there? Maybe you read the books in Skyrim. <laughs> there are some of the greatest authors that came out of Skyrim. The Lusty Argonian Maid is a classic, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, Chris, expectations, hopes, fears, dreams for this game. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't have too many expectations other than kind of what y'all have a little touched on um, so far. I'm looking forward to just kind of crafting this world and kind of seeing the direction it takes. Um, having not played this before, but some games similar, I, I have varying levels of success on my world building aspects. So hopefully I can kick it up a notch and, uh, you know, have some fun with this one tonight. Yeah, let's just lean in and see what happens when some wizards go on a journey. Okay. I'm going to dive right in. The game basically has one round um, where we'll do some collective uh, character and world building, and then we'll be dealt some cards, and then it goes into uh, kind of the same round. But I think it's easiest just to explain the rules as we go through the parts of the game. So let's get into it. So um, to prepare for this game, uh, we're each going to need something where we can keep notes. We can either create a handout in Roll20 or you can pull up a notes app, or you can have an index card next to you. And then we have some decks of cards here, an Arcanum deck, a words deck, a location deck, and a problem deck that will be all used at different phases throughout the game. And then we have our rules. So those are all the materials for this. At a certain point in time, I think we will need a D6 um, to do some rolls. So those are the only other things you'll need, and we'll use roll 20 for that. So the first thing is first is we're going to create our wizards. So there is uh, an Arcanum deck um, that I'm going to shuffle. And uh, this is going to describe to us what the sort of core conduit of magic, where our magic words come from, will kind of give us a starting seed to think of ourselves as wizards. So um, think of a name for your sorcerer, given that, and then we'll go through and just give each other our names and um, do it. So my words are restorative. And we'll say my name is Clay. My name's Clay. Okay. My name's Clay. My name's, I think my name, yeah, my name's Clay. And my words are restorative. Do you ride a motorcycle? <laughs> Mike? Uh, so quick question. We're, we're supposed to have only one card? Yes. Okay. My words are profane. That is appropriate. <laughs> um, I'm going to say my character's name is Raziel. Okay, and Chris? My words are formed from nothingness. Right. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, that'll be interesting. And my name will be uh, Melanoff. Nice. Melanoff, Raziel, and Clay. It's an old name. <laughs> It's a very old name. It's a very, it's an incredibly, it's an incredibly old, old name. Old as dirt, one might say. 
<laughs> old, my name is old as dirt. Yes. <laughs> We're already getting uh, into the wordplay here. This is boding well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, we have our, our sorcerer names and uh, we have where our magic comes from. And that describes as we think about, we will be getting magic words later. And as we think about ourselves as wizards, keep this in mind, because this is the conduit of magic that we are each tapped into. Now we've shared our names, and now we are going to start to define our characters by going around in a circle, and we are going to ask the other players a question about their sorcerer to help them define it. Um, so, for example, it would be like my turn, and I would ask Mike, like, you know, a question about your appearance or where your sorcerer's origins come from or something like that. And Mike, you'll get to flesh it out. So this is our chance by the questions other people ask us to really flesh out like who we think we are. And, you know, we'll keep notes on that. So, um, Mike, why don't you go first asking questions? Okay. Do you got a uh, same question for both or a different question for each? Different. Okay. It's up to you ultimately. Samara, why does your character use magic? What motivates them to use magic? Oh, good question. What motivates Clay to use magic? I think that knowing that I can inherently fix things, it feels there's no other explanation than it like feels right. Like I'm still like an early magic user, but I know whatever I can tap into sort of men's breaks, heals things, puts them together and, for whatever reason, that just like inherently feels right in my gut. So I've just started on instinct. Instinct and it being connected to, I guess, who I think I am. Okay. Chris, what is the price your character plays, pays to use their magic? Oh, oh, that is. I'm getting serious right off the bat here. I know. Like, what's yeah. your hair color? No one cares. So <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I can think of is what was that? What was that one movie? Or you had to, or maybe it was a book. The one where the like the only way magic worked is if you gave up secrets. Oh no, it was in uh, Saga. Don't they don't they use magic by like giving up a secret or something? What is my name again? Melanoff. You know, his magic is formed from nothingness, and I think he's found a lot of a lot of time in isolation where he's honed his craft, and he's had to like spend a lot of time by himself. And the only thing that's like more closely guarded than his magic is like the secrets that he keeps to himself. And so to be able to use that magic, he has to give away part of himself like that. We'll see how that works out. <laughs> I think it's good. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll go next. Razio, what's the most damage you've caused as a result of being a conduit of this magic? And how did you feel about it? I'm going to say uh, Raziel has killed with their magic. And I think the way they felt was very matter of fact about it. Like surprising lack of affect or, or concern that they had killed with it. Mm. Knowing they should be a little bit affected by it. Mm -hmm. But I think it was a life and death situation. And... Raziel killed because they had to. That's how they justify it to themselves. You can, yeah, you can think very, well, just the way that you were able to frame it up and think about it was, well, it was necessary. It was not, you, you could, you could, you could dissociate from all the other complications of it. Yeah. I mean, I think the magic is slightly deadening, um, Ooh, which, yeah, which okay. also helps, uh, but at least that's how I'm conceiving it. Yeah, no, I'm into that. Cool. Okay, uh, Melanoff, what 
Is Melanoff's relationship to like joy and wonder and like are there examples of it or not in his life as an arcanist? There's not a lot of joy in Melanoff's life. He lives pretty, as I said, uh, a solitary, solitary style of existence because he's he's found his magic can can be off-putting by some, but he does find at times when he's finding himself a little lost, like he, he can spark a little bit back in him and a spark, a little bit of, of love for like humanity and the people around him by just surprising the children he sees on the street or the people who are in like their worst desperations by just creating small illusions and small moments of joy for them with his magic, which he rarely does because he generally finds it more as a utility than something that is something that can create joy out of it. But like he likes using his power occasionally just to just for fun, but never for himself. Like Mm. he has to be able to use it. He has to do it in that way that he wants to, he wants to try like he can't be happy, but if he can use it to make someone else happy just a little bit and just occasionally. Because it comes at such a great cost, right? This like, yeah. nothingness cost. So, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. All right, Chris. Oof. Oh, I mean it. Okay. Mike, uh, Razion, mm-hmm. what was the trigger or the moment or the instant or the action that made you realize magic was possible in your life. Mm. I think I think it was something small to start. I think there was a moment of frustration or something like that. And Raziel willed something into existence that was not expected. So I'm I'm thinking specifically trying to start uh, a fire in the fireplace and nothing was catching. There's a lot of anxiety and a lot of uh, frustration with trying to get this to finally fucking go. And I think Raziel touched something and brought it into being in the real world. And that was the first breakthrough. And I think then the experimentation with everything else, uh, it kind of grew out from there. Right. And clay, what's the one thing you will like, what's the one aspect of your life that you'll never let like your magic interact with? Is there a part of your life that like you try and keep isolated from this power that you have? Oh, that's an interesting question. It may also be a terrible question. (laughs) No, it makes me think about my relationship to it in like such a wonderfully specific way. I think, I think I'm a bit of a junkie for how good it feels to use the magic. Um, And I think it's almost like if it weren't healing or restorative in nature, I think it would maybe be of a little bit more concern, but like almost like, you know, like a health nut or something like that. You're like, I guess it's not a terrible vice to have, but it's still like, so I think I use it all the time in every possible way that can be used in often. In, and I think that has led to like, like in a, like we don't need that ma- like calm it down, like stop using. It. And I think I can use up magical resources a lot more. Like I'm kind of seen as I think voraciously 
about it. Like almost so an addict. That, yeah. Like I think that there's like like an addictive relationship to it. And so there's no aspect of my life that this magic doesn't touch or that I haven't tried to influence with my magic. I've tried it on everybody, everything, and maybe learned like, oh, no, don't use it there. But definitely like my first instinct is to use it. So, yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah. Nice. Um, okay. We will continue to like flesh out who we are as we build the world, but we're going to sort of start to like pull that lens out like a little bit. So like this game is a little bit like sort of stacking or, or adjusting focus. So these are the starting characters we'll continue to flesh out and use as we tell the chapters of the story. We maybe know or don't know each other, which we'll get to establish in the next section, which is going to be establishing a starting location. So this is, uh, this first location is our home and we're going to work together similar to the way that we work together to help each other build our characters. We're going to build our home location. We're going to go around uh, in a circle. We can do the same order, Mike, me, Chris. And first we're going to describe an aspect of this home. And then the second round, we'll go through and explain uh, why we're all leaving and we're leaving together. So uh, think about that as we do that round. Um, so we drew the Sparrow Song Ravine, which is our home. And underneath it, it says, what's missing? Uh, so that is our prompt to describe our home. Mike, would you like to kick us off by telling us some aspect of our home? Does it have to be the what's missing or... No, that's just like, you'll see, it's just a thing to sort of spark thinking. You don't have to answer that. Okay. So I think Sparrow Song Ravine is kind of a, kind of an outcast village. I think there is a, a larger city nearby, but I think that Sparrow Song Ravine is where folks who don't fit into the city or criminals or whatnot uh, end up. Uh, I think it's a collection of like loosely built houses and hovels and stuff like that. Uh, it's not utterly destitute, but it's certainly on the poorer end of uh, what you see in this world. I'm going to be so bold as to say that also it's sort of this smaller village is on the outskirts of a large town, but I'm going to sort of put forward our kind of advancement as a society a little bit like beyond traditional Gandalf, like Lord of the Rings. I don't know, but I think that like, uh, so it feels a little bit more like a, a small rural town, you know, that's not far uh, from a major city. And that uh, it also as such is like a pit stop um, for a lot of people before they decide to like pay the tolls to go into a city or not. So it's sort of transient by nature. I think it's uh, it's taken its name uh, at one point in the past. It used to be more of a burgeoning city and like a thriving market hub until the ravine, something something happened and, and the land just became less an optimal place for, for people to settle and, and create that commerce. And as, and as people moved out, it became that shadier town. And you found that the, the same kind of commerce the same kind of kind of trade moved through the area, but in a different in a different way. It went from being more of a of a mercantile to the underbelly aspect of it. And so you have 
um, as Mike was saying, you have kind of the, the transient and the, and, and the rougher side of the elements of the communities around it coming into it. Whenever things go wrong nearby, coming down and shaking down the houses and turning out all the people and, and really, uh, terrorizing the village by whatever authority that may be in the area has created a lot of mistrust and distaste for, for others outside of it. So it's become a really close knit tight community of these kind of, uh, well, a close knit community and transient people don't really work well together. So, so yeah, there's, there's that, the but, locals. You know, no, there's the locals, right? Somebody's got to run the truck true, stop. Yeah. Somebody's got to run the bar, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. It's, so it's a real, so there's a real sense of like who lives here and who comes through here. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, everyone, everyone knows whenever anyone comes through, it, it ripples through the town, uh, especially depending on what they look like and, and, and how they present themselves, because it's very clear who has been through the town before and who hasn't. Mm-hmm. Do we think that the way in which we tap into magic in this world and in this place is because it's inherently tied to the geography or is it because of something in the nature of the products that pass through here or the people that pass through here or the ideas or, or is like, what's the, what's kind of magic's relationship to this place? I feel that the magic in that we've described, I mean, we have kind of had three different motifs of it. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I feel that there's a certain element of transaction to the magic. Mm. And I feel that as a result, this is where transactions happen. Like this is not, it's not a trade hub per se, but this is where uh, people exchange for a night's sleep. This is where like criminals drive hard bargains. Mm -hmm. And I think as a result of that, the magic here is ripe to be tapped from. Mm -hmm. Um, But it, it, for lack of a better term, it tastes bad to those doing it just because of the area you're in. Like, I like the idea for Clay, who's the sort of like healing addict that I could like, seems like a town of broken people. A lot of broken people come through a lot of whether or not they're broken in spirit or, or body. Like, it seems like a prime opportunity for somebody who just wants to do that kind of magic to be able to like deal and work and be around that. And similarly, I feel like some of the, empty nothingness that drives Melanoff is, uh, yeah, is also like very attracted to this place. And certainly with the color of character we're talking, that feels like very much like Raziel. So, yeah. So I feel like, okay, this is a place. So why it makes sense sort of why we're all here. Why do we, um, why do we have to leave and why do we have to leave together? Uh, We each get to uh, give uh, one thing of, input to this idea does the second prompt on the card dictate anything of this part or any of these parts yeah uh it's just supposed to be a prompt so we should we should consider it maybe as part of this because i'm not sure i mean we've talked we haven't really explicitly talked about sort of like a concept of what's missing we haven't incorporated it into either the aspect of how we're describing it so maybe it can inform why we're leaving maybe mike to your point about magic tasting bad maybe we get a sense of like a like, oh, this this is a good shit. Like, you know, this is a pure source. It's, you can't get that here. Like, you got to go out and find that. Maybe that kind of sensibility. I, I I think it's less that we're looking for the good shit as we need to get away from the bad shit. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? 
I, I think like potato, potato. <laughs> well, well, sure, sure. But I think I think you think of it as like this is going to be an extremely bad metaphor. So bear with me. I'm the queen of them. Uh, imagine you've been kind of subsisting on ramen for like a month or something like that, and it keeps you going. It keeps you like you know uh, more or less what you need, but you kind of feel bad after eating it for so long and you kind of need to get away from it and find a better thing. So like maybe you move on to, I don't know, stews or something like that. Like, you know, you're looking for a change in the taste. You're looking for a change in kind of the sustenance that you get from it. And mm-hmm. that's what we're looking for. It's not like there's this mythical, like fucking filet mignon of magic out there. Uh, right. that, we're, that we're looking for. It's just that we need to get away and we need to find something a little bit better than what we got. Yeah. So kind of like, like we, we have like, there's like a, there, like we all can kind of like taste that there's something missing, right? Like it, it mm. feels like there's something just beyond our reach and we can't quite tap into that here. And maybe like, maybe we've, we've pushed the magic as far as we can mm. uh, in Sparrow Song Ravine. And, and maybe we've, I guess we decide how many magic users are in Sparrow Song Ravine, but at least the three of us maybe have have gotten it together and and realized that we aren't the only like individually, like I'm not the only one who's reached my limits of being able to like get the magic I want, but I know that there's more out there. I just can't draw it from this place. Mm. Yeah. And I think as somebody who sort of binges on it, there's been an advantage being like, well, I mean, ramen's cheap, but that is like yeah but at what cost and i think that there's maybe something because we talked a little bit about i think we all collectively something about this world is that like there's a we haven't quite defined it but we've been intimating that of a sense of like the price of magic and like what we so maybe there's something in that too to your point mike of like getting away from the bad Mm -hmm. um, that we haven't quite figured out yet okay before we go on this journey together, do we feel the need to further define our relationship to each other? Or are we comfortable moving forward and setting scenes and finding that on the road? I would say that it, I think this town at least is one of those towns where the locals kind of at least know of each other. Yeah. Um, so I don't think we're complete strangers to each other. We know vaguely who each other is. I don't know if we want to go beyond that, but just kind of as a baseline. Okay. I think... With a slight, you know, persistent itch of an arm or a face, perhaps Clay was the one who had a tip about being like, I think, like, let's get out of town. I heard that there's, like, there's a place, like, that's worth that sort of instigated this conversation to pull us from our kind of roots, which is something that we've already, you know, you've had an inkling for, but now sort of said, like, there's a direction to go. I have a, I have a lead instead of it being a divine purpose, for example, or, you know, yeah. Mission from Gad. Right. Right. (laughs) I think, I think it's a guy told me, I think is really, we're going on the word of like a guy who came through town. I think. I think that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Enough people come through town, you hear enough rumors and we've heard many, but we've never heard any of that, like actually seemed remotely plausible and, and we got a taste of something and, and it's piqued our interest enough to finally leave. Definitely. I skipped a step, but it's fine. We're going to do it right now before we go on our journey. Um, we're going to draw our magic words. So the game rules say to draw six cards, um, and 
we'll do something with them. But also the amount of cards that we draw kind of dictates how long the game is. So I'm comfortable giving six cards. So we have six cards to choose from. Uh, in the playthrough I watched, they cut it down because there were more players. Um, we could cut them in half or we could just say after each person does one round, then we start the trick back, which I think just might be the better way to give six cards and do it that way just so we can be sure to stay in time. Makes sense to me. Okay, so I'm going to give six cards. Even though the rules say the game ends when you use all the cards, we'll just each take a turn as like the leader and then we'll call it. Okay, so should have done this before we established a town, but it's totally okay. We have to draw our um, magic words. So I'm going to shuffle the words deck and we each are given six cards. So I'm going to go ahead and deal six cards to each of us. Now, these are going to, kind of similar to the location, be a sound or a word and um, uh, a bunch of runes underneath. These will be the words that we will use for spell casting. So as we go on this journey, we're going to draw a location. We're going to define that location and a scene happening in that area to kind of be the next chapter in our story as this world develops. And then we're going to pull a problem that has to be solved through magic. And we will use these words to solve that problem. When you use a word, it goes into a discard and can't be used again. So what you have to do, and we'll give everybody the time to do this, is uh, we have to decide for uh, all six words that we have what they mean. I have the word and dune, and that is a word for, I'm going to say, like it means binding together, but it could mean, you know, eternity it could mean the color blue whatever so define these six words for yourself and write it down um because there is the potential throughout the game to gain this word from somebody else and we want to remember its meaning so cue the vanna white music and we'll dig some notes uh do the symbols mean anything on the cards i think they're just decorative okay because they are different so i thought they were different yeah there's no like the dice mechanic does not tie to the runes. I couldn't find anything about it. I think it's just flavor. I'm going to start with Mike and I, and then <laughs> if you want to fill them in. Uh, so, uh, Mike, you were given six magic words. Can you please read off those words and their meaning? Sure. So I have the word Zarosa, which is X-A-R-O-S-A. I have interpreted this to be the word for magic or the word for like magical power or something like that. Okay. I have lay L E I'm kind of using it as a relational word, like a conjunction. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, magic and then lay plus whatever else or uh, uh -huh. between, or it's a kind of like a Boolean operator in, um, uh, in programming. Yeah. I have ghoul G U L. Uh, I'm referring. I'm using this to refer to another person outside of myself or an enemy. Mm -hmm. Thruz, thruz. I don't know. T h r u z. Thruz. Thruz. I I interpret this to be kind of force or motion because it sounded like thrust. I don't know. Um, <laughs> drie, d r i e. Mm -hmm. uh, I've interpreted this to be decay. Okay. And hinia. Uh, and hinia means is basically negation, nothing, emptiness. Okay. This is extremely abstract. So <laughs> I'm into it. Okay. Mine, my first word is 
Andun, A-N-D-U-N, uh, which means connection. Quadrionis, Quadrionis, Q-U-O-R-D-R-I-O-N-U-S. That is the word that means the mending of a thing that you forgot was broken. Juror, J-apostrophe-R-O-R, which is a term used for the cleansing heat and can be, yeah, ezer uh, uh, is uh, the mess before. Alka is fizziness, like a carbonated drink or a hug from a child. You know, it has broad meaning. And zerem means full. Okay, nice. Melanoff, what are your magic words? Yeah, so I have kalum, C-A-L-U-M, and I defined that as cinder, like thinking of like the sparks burning up in a fire. Yarun, which I couldn't help but think and look at because it is Y-A-R-U-N as just Yarun. So that one means vanish. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> you're running away. Sorry, I don't know. Um, Scintilla, C-I-N-T-I-L-I-A, uh, means void to me. For some mm-hmm. reason or another, because it was the last one I did. Dustati is dust. Tis is the smallest word I had, and it means small. And Dalmar means shadow. Hmm. So, so who knows? these are the magic words that we can channel uh, as we face problems along our journey. We will combine them to create spells to solve the problems in front of us. So let us begin this journey that uh, Raziel, Clay, and Melanoff are going on, on the word of a guy who came through town in Sparrow Song Ravine. We'll take a quick break and we'll start the adventure. And we're back. Okay, so... These arcanists are going to go out into the world. Let's do the order that we've been doing. So, Mike, you'll go first. On your turn, you're going to draw a location card. That is the location that we're going, and you're going to describe a scene at the place, be descriptive in the landscape, its features, why we're here. There will be a prompt in there that will kind of help give us a sense of anything going on. Feel free to pull us in with either questions of what our characters think of it, or if you want to act out a scene, we can act out a scene. And then when you feel good about how you've established this location, then we will draw a problem card uh, which will give us an issue at hand that we have to solve magically. Okay, so literally, the card, the first card I drew is called The Shores of Terror. <laughs> what you hope not to find. <laughs> mm. I Okay, I view this place as wherever we're going, I feel that we're following the coastline uh, of, of the sea. Mm-hmm. And I think this is kind of a a bay or a reef that is notorious for a number of different shipwrecks and uh, ships run aground. As the kids would say, the vibes are fucked. (laughs) Like there's a lot of death in this area. There's a lot of not ghosts, but you can feel like death energy and like things like that. And I think... It is not what we hope to find. Uh, we hope to find a place with 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 chiller vibes, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is more acute. I think this is like 
back in town, I think our magic kind of tasted bad. This feels like like you're constantly smelling a rotting body. Like this feels like like a really terrible area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's Do called the Shores think- of Terror. I mean, like- <laughs> I mean, it is. Do you think? The name. Yeah. Raziel and Melanoff and Clay. Do we think? Like, I think that it's like gross for Clay because everything here is so far beyond. There's nothing to heal. Um. So there's nothing for. Uh, me to sort of like suck into and I think that for like Melanoff maybe like everything's dead but it's not actually nothingness because now it's started to generate like decay and all this other disgusting stuff so it also like doesn't feel right to your magic of nothingness because it's like well no it's not nothing it's like rotting disgustingness it's not gone it's becoming it's like going into another phase of creation it's the opposite it's becoming something else mm-hmm I think also there's a great amount of secrets here. Like, you know, why were these ships here and whatnot? And I think that that may be something that Melanoff may be interested in because that fuels his magic to some degree. Yeah. No, that's a good point. There, there's Unsolved a lot of mystery. Yeah. yeah. Anything else you want to describe about it before you pull a problem? I mean, just physically, I think it is a, I think it is a bay. I think it is like an inlet off the, off the sea. Um, I think there are cliffs. I'm picturing the cliffs of insanity from the princess bride, like just very Mm -hmm. sheer cliffs all the way up that are kind of impassable. Okay. And we can skirt around the edges of this area, but um, we still have to go through it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Makes sense. Draw a problem card and describe the issue at hand based on the prompt written on the card. Discuss who the problem affects and why, and explain why the problem must be solved with magic. Some problems may have additional instructions. If these instructions cannot be followed, the spell automatically fails. Avoid describing problems where the consequences of failure would end the journey. Once the problem is established, you may begin speaking the magic words, wherein we will cast spells. Okay. The problem we have is, it's called the hollow hunt, and all players must contribute a word Okay, so so this means that so so normally in spell casting rounds, um, as I understand it, you have the choice to contribute a word to the spell or not. You could like hold your word back. So the problem you're going to describe needs to compel us. Whatever whatever situation you're describing, there's something about it that like we all have to be a part of the spell that is cast. I'm going to say that this area has a hunger to it. A magical hunger where like it kind of devours devours ships, it devours life. I think it senses us because we are kind of three beacons, three conduits of magic in the in the near vicinity. Mm-hmm. And I think it is coming after us. Um, I think it is trying to consume us. It is trying to suck us dry. The sensation of, of it is that we have something on our tails that is gaining magically as we move through the area. So we are working together... Um, to create a spell that is basically feeding it enough that we can like get the fuck out of here. In some way, like I'm not sure how we escape it, but like either we feed it or we run from it or we kill it or I don't. I'm I'm not sure, but yes, right. We need to but, deal with it somehow. Yes, and that we know that magic will somehow either sate it or distract it or something, but that's what it wants. Yes. All right. So now we cast spells. We will work collectively to select which words we want to commit to the spell and in what order. No player may commit more than one word. Um, oh, but at least one word must be committed to each spell. 
this one must it requires all players to contribute a word. Yeah. The rules say that everybody must commit one. So, I, but well, we're following both rules. They, yeah. They're not conflicting. As each player contributes a word, they describe how its meaning will help or hinder the spell. So, if for some reason Clay did not want this to succeed and was really drawn to staying there, I could choose that my magic is hindering this. But I think that we're all working together on this. When you've completed writing your spell, the current player recites the words and describes its magic, rolling 1d6 for each helping word. So first step is to craft the spell. So given the words that we defined earlier, we're going to pick one word, you know, to contribute to this spell. I'm going to contribute the connection word because... This seems to be tied to like this relationship of the magic within us and the magic the place wants. So maybe maybe that is helpful in this. I don't know. So so connection in the sense of like the connection between us and the hunt or us and the magic or or something like that, right? It might change its meaning because of the words that you guys contribute because that's sort of what I think we're defining here, but it is a word that means connection. So could literally connect things or could speak to the fact that we have magic within us. This thing wants to eat magic. Maybe there's our connection to it that way. So I have, I have a couple of words that might work here. Um, I have a word meaning magic, which is kind of apropos. I have a word meaning the other, and I have a word meaning nothing. And I also have a word meaning like forward or progress. I don't necessarily think that Raziel wants to feed this thing. Mm-hmm. I think Raziel wants the hunt to not see us as a threat or as a, as a meal, I guess maybe is probably the better way to put it. Mm-hmm. If we have something along the lines of like magic connection, nothing, mm-hmm. is it a way of kind of masking that maybe? Maybe. Yeah. Like we're looking to like stealth, our way through almost sever that connection. Yeah. Either sever it or I have something with other, which would be like, yo, it's over there. Like magic's over there, not here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That could work too. And I have, I have, I have vanish and I also have void, which I feel like void is similar to your nothingness, but I feel like vanish could be in a couple ways. And whether that's, we connect the hollow hunt to vanishing magic to just, make it disappear or whether we ourselves are finding connected. a way to connect it, connect and vanish ourselves, vanish ourselves from it. Um, so it no longer even perceives us could be another, another route to go. And that was, that was the word I was leaning towards giving. Mm. It does vanish in your conception. Does it imply just being hidden or does it imply like absence? Is vanish, does vanish destroy or does it cloak? That is an excellent question. And I think initially I had probably thought of it more as cloaking, but mm-hmm. thinking about Melanoff and his connection to nothingness, I think the lack of existence, like it has vanished from the face of the earth. It is just no longer in existence it is probably a better definition for his magic. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. So I think how about then if I put to, I put forward um, other or enemy, and then other connection vanish, meaning make the other into empty. I I would rather have a spell that would affect them than affect us, because I don't know if these things can go wrong. I'd rather have it go wrong on them than on us. Yeah, so essentially we're we're trying to, in a sense, like, 
banish it in a way? Is that what we're kind of getting at with this? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right. Uh, submit your cards in the center here. Mike, you will now cast the spell. You will read the spell in order and then uh, describe the magic and then roll one six-sided die for each helping word and one four-sided die for each hindering word. They're all helping. I think you rolled 3d6. Yeah. Okay. I think as we're, as we're kind as this stuff is gaining on us, Raziel turns and just kind of whispers into the wind. Gulandun Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 3d6, a two, a four, and a one for a total of seven. Okay. If none of the dice rolls a six, but one of the four-sided dice, no. Okay. If no dice show their highest number, the spell is weak and only partially effective. The current problem player describes how the problem is solved, but only partially or temporarily. So describe what the magic look lo- looks like and uh, what happens as it weak or partially is effective. I think there is a void that comes out after after Raziel speaks the words. I think that there is a kind of a wall that shimmers through reality that pushes back against whatever is following them, like this magical, like dark energy. Mm-hmm. I don't think it removes them, but I think it creates a barrier that prevents them from following all that easily. Yeah. Um, and I think they are going to continue to follow, but we're going to get more of a, a head start on them. Okay. Um, it doesn't destroy them, but I think it hinders them to the point. I don't know if that means that we can get away or. It might alter the way that let's say, you know, as we go into the next location, we maybe have a sense of urgency that we wouldn't normally have because we know that we've poked the bear. We have a sense of how big the bear actually is. We don't know how far the bear can go away from this bay, but we know that like it has now noticed us, but we were able to slip away. Oh, oh, hold on. I think I have a a more interesting complication here. Um, I think all that happens. Yeah. But I think as we go out, we're not sure if we got it and we start feeling very ill at ease. We're not sure if it's this energy or not that has mm-hmm. maybe part of it has gotten to it. Maybe put an aspect of it has reached us, but not like the full force of it. So I think that kind of lingers with us throughout our journey to some degree. Like we we're all just a little bit paranoid, a little bit paranoid. And we don't know if that paranoia is real or because some of this energy is like following us. Okay. We cast the spell. We did, okay, when the spell is complete, if two or more words were committed, the current player gifts one of the committed words to another player. All other words committed to the spell are lost. Place them in the discards of the players that wrote their meaning and do not use them in another spell unless directed to do so. The current player then takes the location card into their hand from the board, discards the problem card, and their turn ends. So you get to give one of these magic words to one of us. I am going to give Clay the word vanish, Yarun. All right. I think that might come in handy. All right. So 
Raziel Clay and Melanoff left the town of Sparrowsong Ravine, went straight to the the nasty bay, the shores of terror. I shores of terror. Called. Yeah. And ran straight into something that felt incredibly icky. Barely made it out with the spell that we just found together. Uh, and we're heading into the next spot. So it's now my turn and I will grab a location. But with a slight unease as we continue our journey, feeling this ever-present tug and nag at the back of our mind as if something still lingers behind us, ever-present, chasing, following, thinking, prodding, tugging at us. Did you hear something? Is that, oh, God, it feels, oh, oh, terrible, feels terrible. We have made our way past the shores of terror, and we are now at the fracture, uh, forbidden magic. We rushed out of the shores of terror away from this thing that is this constant pressure. And as such, we took the shortcut to try to to get into some more narrow spaces. So along those that kind of cliff side of the bay, if you follow it, there's sort of like a narrow canyon that cracked in the earth and is part of what ultimately caused um, Sparrow Song Ravine um, to kind of fall into a less attractive place to settle, as we talked about earlier. So it's a really, there's a lot of, you have to do like, it's kind of treacherous. It's a lot of scrambling to get through it. And there's not too much um, wildlife, but there is, what makes it tricky is that there's like gross, soft, mush it's sort of like a scottish rock situation where like you don't know how deep the moss goes when you put your hand on it because it's so old and overgrown and uh it's kind of tricky to get through there are caves here where it is rumored that some magic users have like experimented in darker fringer uses of magic and i think Clay has never been. Raziel, would you know about any sort of unacceptable magics practicing, whether or not they are rumors or? I mean, I think that's kind of Raziel's whole thing. I mean, uh, the magic comes from the profane. The magic comes from something forbidden. Mm. I think Raziel, though, has only really just very lightly touched the surface of it. And I think something like, I think Raziel's heard of this community uh, mm-hmm. of mages up here, knowing that they're very insular because what they do is dangerous and forbidden and profane. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's intriguing as hell to Raziel, I think. Yeah, maybe. Whereas, like, we've been sort of playing with this idea of our relationship to, like, how magic feels and how it tasted weird in our home and we felt it almost wanting to pull out of us um in the shores of terror that maybe there's something about this place because of the rituals that happened here that uh much in the way that i'm addicted to my magic like to you like feels like a like it's almost like you can smell it like it just like feels and smells good like you want it sort of like there's something here that's desirous to you and because it's profane i think it maybe has a similar yeah, so I think that there's something here for you that is that is a lure. I think there's something for uh, Melanoff that is also it's more faintly desirous, not as intoxicating, but like nobody can live here. There's nothing here. There aren't like animals skittering around. At most, it's sort of this mossiness. So like 
it feels very empty here. Um, and it is the cause of what kind of dried out our ravine. So there's something also that like feels, feels good to you um, about being in this place. Um, So what problem awaits us here? Let's see. What is it? Spreading blight. Spreading blight. (laughs) Okay. So I think while Melanoff and Raziel are sort of blissfully, Raziel is like sort of getting that first whiskey at the end of a hard day tipsy, like not quite tipsy, but just like soothing of the nerves, which feels so good after the last encounter on the shores. Melanoff is also seemingly sort of like being coaxed into that. I think Clay maybe is like futzing with the moss in a way and discovers that it is actually like a horrible poisonous gross side effect of whatever horrible things have gone here right so it's not it's not quite viral in nature is it alive what is it like it's sort of maddening and coming off of the fresh horrors of the thing we just saw i think clay's equally amped up in terms of being freaked out about it and i think literally it has started to crawl up and like trap a hand so is this moss in your mind I'm visualizing this as kind of a, you know, whenever you have a chemical reaction, there is some like uh, additional products that that like titrate out or something like that. So this is kind of a weird side effect of the magic that is being done here. Like the, it's balancing the scales and the transaction between magic. And it is this vile, corrosive moss. It, yeah, it's like a toxic byproduct of magic that's been practiced here. Okay. And did you say it was literally reaching out for you or? I am like stuck in it, whether or not it's like on me and it's incapacitated me. Let's say it's, yeah, there's something about it that like literally or in my mind or through my magic has me like held, like touching it. It's this like thing that like senses the magic within me perhaps, or my, my ability to connect to it. So we have to choose magic magic words now and create the spell to deal with this toxic sludge. I think Raziel is going to... The word that is coming to mind is uh, drie, which is decay. Mm. Because I feel feel Raziel has a certain kind of fascination and wants to see what happens if this byproduct is exposed to some kind of decay. I don't think the concern is necessarily saving... Uh, clay i think it's like this might help but i'm I'm more interested in figuring out what will happen if i do this so are you trying to help or hinder the problem of uh clay being incapacitated by the toxic sludge i think Raziel is indifferent to to hindering i think at this point you're more feeding it hmm? i said you're more feeding it you're feeding the decay yeah because this i think is Raziel's magic i think this is well, I need to understand how this thing works if it, like if it's going to be intrinsic to my magic and the magic that is practiced here. I think Raziel wants greater control over the magic. Yeah, okay. So I think that Clay, I think sensing that drive in Raziel to want to feed that, like Clay as a healer is, I think, probably connected to like, like a, like, or, or, or somebody who's, who restores thing, I think maybe is connected to a cycle of life. And so there's one way to either sort of 
eradicate something or you could push it past its point until it's in a new state. So I think that maybe I'm going to submit the word for um, the mess before in the hope that this toxic sludge is like the start of something new. So being like, well, get out of this current state and and move into the next. Yeah. And I think, I think Melanoff, like his, his sense of, of nothingness and almost neutrality and want of that, like no balance between good and evil, just like nothing. This is finding life from death. Like this is finding a way for existence when you should no longer exist and wants to get rid of this kind of disgust from this place where nothing should be because something's invading this like pure and holy place to him. Like he finds the lack of everything here kind of empowering. He is surrounded by nothing. And even Mm. the presence of death in that space, he finds frustrating. And I was, I was leaning towards uh, Callum, the word for cinder to to burn away and purge any kind of of evil because how else can you get rid of something other than burning it with fire for it to truly vanish um in a place where nothing exists oh there's something interesting here because i also have a word for the cleansing heat so i feel like it could bend either direction yeah but maybe let's think about this i we're gonna cast a spell and i describe it i think that i think all of our intentions coming together sort of maybe the the cinders activate the kind of reaction to kind of spark it into something else i mean i kind of want to roll and see where it goes but i think that between the mess before and what exactly was yours again mike decay decay yeah and and cinder I feel like there's there's some like interesting wordplay you can do with this and the orientation of it because I feel like if you burn the mess before decay is different than mm-hmm. decaying the mess before burning, you know. Mm-hmm. I feel like the the order in which we say these words can have a, a pretty decent effect on on the outcome of this. But if if there's decay, can you? De- this is a philosophical thing. Is is can you decay after burning? Like, because if if the concept is burning to a cinder, what is left to be decayed? The mess before cinders is decay. Like, you burn a dying body. Okay. Is there some way that the mess before... The mess before cinders is decay, if that's the spell that gets built. And we knew that there was some sort of profane magic here, and that this is a byproduct of it. Would that somehow, maybe there was like sacrifice going on and would the mess before cinders is decay, I mean, would, would that bring something to life that maybe got sacrificed as a result of this magic? Like, let's, I mean, how crazy could this spell go? No, totally. Or, I'm just trying to think of like, which one of these words then is hindering, if any of them. If any of them. Well, is it, is it, yeah, and is the word... The hindrance or is the intention the hindrance like if you're casting decay intentionally to feed this then then i feel like the magic word you're giving power to the word before you commit it right like so your intention for that word is is to hinder a positive result regardless of how we describe it turning out that the dice we roll i think you're right chris that it like intentionally you're trying to feed this thing and i'm trying to escape it and mm-hmm. uh, they're not exactly at odds, but like 
feeding it does not really seem you're you're not intentionally helping me. So I would roll two d six and one d four. I think with these spell rules, and then I would reveal. What does the what does the rule does the rulebook say? It is intention, or is does it say? They describe how its meaning will help or hinder the spell. I mean, yeah. In that case, I think the yeah, I think it is intent then. Yeah, like the intent is to feed this and see yeah. what happens. If none of the dice rolls a six, but one of the four-sided dice shows a four, the spell fails, and one of the sabotaging players, decided by whichever seems fair, describes how the magic goes awry. One of the sabotaging players also looks at the top card of the problem deck and may place that card on the bottom of the deck or put it back on top. So uh, I rolled a four. So, Mike, you get to decide what happens with the spell that fails and then you get to look at the problem card. Okay. Just one one point of order. Say the words. Oh, right. Sorry. Um, <laughs> the most important point. Okay, so uh, Clay is there, has been investigating this toxic sludge moss. Uh, Hankinson stuck, screams out in surprise for help, and uh, on, like, looking into it, uh, all three sort of turn... Uh, and look at the situation, and 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 Clay says Drie as a Callum, like desperately trying to like pull pull out of this. I feel that the word Drie decay, when it was spoken, gave the moss a an extra burst of energy or power or whatnot that allowed it to kind of uh, like the what came after didn't affect it as strongly. I think the it ate the decay a little too much and I think I think what happened is that the moss kind of grafted to Clay's hand mm-hmm. uh and maybe partway up Clay's forearm and I I think that it it feels it feels rotten it feels like your hand is withered to some degree mm-hmm. and I think also because Melanoff contributed the word cinder. Mm-hmm. I think it burns. Like it doesn't not not physically, but there is a a sensation of heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, not cleansing heat. Mm-mm. Like kind of flaming decay and aging on your hand. Oh, which is like awful. And I feel like it's like inert to any of my any of my restorative sensibilities. Like there's nothing I can like do to sort of yeah you gotta get that looked at i'm definitely gonna get yeah. looked at so two of these words go away Razael, i feel like as the person who did that you can take dr- uh drie uh decay back my word was ezer so this is gonna go on my discard pile hold on sorry what was the thing with the problem deck oh yes you look at the first problem on the you look at the top problem on the problem deck and you decide if it goes at the bottom of the deck or stays there all righty i'm gonna look at it I am going to put this back at the bottom of the deck. Melanoff, we have we are leaving the terrible place, the the fracture. Decayed oh, yes. decayed burning hand. Mm. Clay's focus is like, you know, split between tweaking out and looking behind for the great bad and like obsessing over the arm it's very much so just glancing up every once in a while make sure you guys are still moving i think clay has definitely lost a lot of ability to be a a 
a driving or effective force for things in terms of their complete distraction um, and and feeling wigged out. I th- I think Raziel is also like very interested in that hand. <laughs> like a creep, you caused this. You did this to me. And I just think you'd be better with no hand. So you know, you're convincing me to cut off my arm. <laughs> I might, I might, I might. I don't know how much longer I can take it. It feels insane. So is this is this next location our final location? So technically, I mean, I wanted to sort of see how people were feeling, but um, technically you go until all the magic words have been spent, and then you do like a montage of the walk back to town. For the purposes of the pod, I was going to say we just did one round each and that this would be the last round. I think given that it's after 10, I'm okay with that, if you guys are okay with that. Yeah, I'm okay with it as well. It's a little weird to figure out like when the game's going to end because we were taking cards back and everything too. So yeah, I guess you'll never really know because sometimes yeah, exactly. Because oh, interesting. Because everyone would keep getting a card back, and then you'd be really at the bottom. Okay, I see. So yeah, I just think for the purposes of the pod, it's maybe just easier to say that the next one's the last one. All right. So let's see where our final destination is: Salt Cliffs. Oh, making camp. For an amputation. <laughs> <laughs> so as we've we've tracked um, battling our feeling this feeling this emptiness and 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 uh, a hunt hollow hunt ever present behind us dealing with decay and life sucking evils that we've narrowly escaped and are still you know somewhat licking our wounds from. Um, I'm not licking this. I, there's no licking of this hand that I will do. <laughs> Razio might. <laughs> Ugh, it's disgusting. You know, we're so we're approaching uh, what we were told of our final destination, known as the Salt Cliffs, which is an area that got its name from the steep, jagged cliffs leading down. Uh, speckled with some polished rock, white, shiny, almost glitteringly blind from the sea, uh, rocks, you know, reminiscent of literally like giant chunks of salt, you know, coming out of this cliff, not actual salt, but, uh, it just has that, that kind of memory, which also, you know, we've heard is this place of great power. Like there's, there's something in these cliffs that holds, you know, a kind of untapped raw power that no one's really figured out how to reach before. We've come through, you know, desolate wasteland, completely devoid of nothing, and yet these cliffs kind of spring up out of nowhere. Um, you're walking and you think you have journey in front of you still, and then yet somehow all of a sudden you come to the edge of a cliff. It doesn't look like you should be. As you were approaching the cliff, it looks like you still have miles to go before anything should stop until you're about you know, a stone's throw away of it, and all of a sudden it just opens up into this emptiness, and it is a sheer, a sheer drop. You know, I think since we both learned about this, I think it elicits kind of all these different feelings. And given, you know, given the journey that we've taken and the kind of magic that you're imbued with, 
at least I, you know, as, as someone who's not trying to murder you, um, look to you and ask you if this feels like the right place. If you're feeling any of that kind of magic, like my magic doesn't come from life. My magic comes from non-existence and Matt and Ray, 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 Raison, Brazil, you know, he, he found his, his font of magic seems like we just left that place, you know? So like, this feels more like something that would speak, speak to, to an essence of life and, and energy. And so, you know, does, are you feeling, is Clay feeling any kind of like new sense of energy or magic pulling into his body from this like previously unvisited and untapped location? I feel like the pain that is plaguing my hand that was quite frankly unbearable um, and was driving me crazy has it like almost feels like the ibuprofen's kicking in a little bit where it's like it's it's there it's definitely still there and it seems incredibly resistant, but that in general, I, I feel a sense like a, like a numbing sense. So whatever, whatever abomination we created here is definitely resistant to whatever powerful magic is here on its own without us doing anything. But, um, so yeah, I do, I do feel a, there is a sense and that like, it feels like casting magic would be easy here. Yeah. That like, you know, to to go back to our food metaphor, that you could order anything off the menu here and it would be fine is is what it feels like. Yeah. And I don't I mean, I don't think there are people that live here. I think this is like it's it's an isolated locale that's that like you can easily like just turn in a small direction and like completely miss it because of this kind of like this like presence it has, you know, Mm -hmm. it kind of masks itself in this way. And even from like even from whether you're on land or on the water, like there's something that just kind of like creates this kind of like mirage, like oasis style thing where like you see something that's there, but not there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which has made it really hard to find. Well, what's the problem that befalls us here? Yeah, let's find out. An ancient curse. One word must be profane or hindering. Well, oh my God, is that Raziel's music? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what is so what's the problem? An ancient curse. So, um, what is this ancient right? curse? Who is it affecting, and uh, why is magic the only reason that we can address it? Maybe it's a uh, everything you describe about this seems that it is very oasis like. Mm-hmm. But what if it is like? Kind of like Land of the Lotus Eaters. Like there is a danger of lethargy and not being able to get away from it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like, I like that. This, it does like draw you in like that magical source feels like it is everything you'll ever need. And there's no Mm. reason for you to search for anything else. So the curse has the effect that like once you discover this magic and as we look around, we begin to see small signs that we aren't the first people that have ever been here and this has been found before and yet we've never heard of it and you've only heard whispers of it because it is so rare for anyone to actually escape this place mm, like because a if you song. have a, yeah what if what's causing that illusion of you know salt cubes in the in the water cliffs is actually just like bones of those who have perished here before <laughs> that have like befallen to the siren song and never escaped it. 
There you go, and the cliff wall slowly eats away to reveal those who have who have spent eternity living in and around this area. Yeah, I yeah, man, that. we're like setting up camp. We're relaxing, and there's this realization of like, oh no, the floor and the walls, like what seem to be forming to me, are forming to me because it's just like a pile of sea washed bones. Yeah, no, I dig it. I like that. So how does how does magic solve a magic that is pulling you in? Yeah, it was we we need to create some spell that makes us resistant to that like call of the oasis. Yeah, so we are so basically so we're tempted by the promise of an eternal endless spring of the most powerful magics we've ever had access to. Mhm. Or you know, we don't actually know that. It's the promise of that. It's that feeling. It's that. It feels that way. Yeah. Yeah. We don't actually know it. It could actually just be like the trap laid by whatever nastiness lives in the shores of terror. We don't know. We don't know. Mm -hmm. We could just be flies on the speck of, we don't know what our size and scale is. Who knows? Like, (laughs) We're just the people who tap into magic and really seen some things since we left the ravine. If we're ready to talk about spells, I feel like I do have one to throw in that feels appropriate yeah i think yeah i think we're ready to talk about spells go for it Mm. i think that maybe an interesting base for this or or some piece of this is the the word quadrionis quadrionis that i have which is the mending of a thing that you forgot was broken and we have to hinder this right so like one word must be hindering or profane is there a definition for that? I mean, like, I understand hindering has a specific gameplay element, but like profane is your magic. Wouldn't any of your magic words technically be profane? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it would have, like, I think what is meant by profane in that context is that it has a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. Um, like what's the difference between a word that is profane and one that is not, I think it is, like profanity is has a negative yeah. connotation to it, so it's not necessarily hindering, but it is outside of outside of the rules, right? It's like going to a a, a white tablecloth party and throwing around like ain't. Uh, it's like it's not respecting the order and rules of and and the establishment. Yeah, I'm and I'm coming to it from I'm I can't believe I'm actually going to quote this, but like. The Bible, you do it every time. No, but like this is me using my religion degree, which I never do. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I said it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, Merkea Eliada's The Sacred and the Profane, those are the two like concepts that are like there is a sacrality, which is kind of uh, a what is seen as central, and profane is what is seen as outside. The profane is something from the outside affecting affecting the normal. So it doesn't necessarily need to hinder, I don't think. So this is this is what I'm thinking. I think uh, Raziel wants to get away from this. I, I, I think this kind of lethargy is kind of antithetical to the kind of magic that they use. I think the only way to escape it is with a profanity. Um, like something from the outside pushing against this. So I'm thinking the word that I'm going to use is probably Zarosa, which is the word for magic, but specifically the type of magic that, that Raziel practices. Mm. 
Um, it is a magic of profanity. I think it is a magic that is kind of antithetical to the type of magic that is lulling us into serenity. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes sense that Clay, with the old ancient name here and the addiction to, you know, magic in general. So maybe I'm the one who's actually hindering. If you two are more driven to get away from this, Chris, I think Melanoff, as somebody who's so attuned to the silence of nothing, like is probably maybe the first to notice it by being overwhelmed by how much of something is here, even though there's no people, which seems right. But you're like, no, 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 no. There's like way too much magic here. So I think you two are maybe more driven because one has to be hindering. I guess one must be profane. But I I could see Clay definitely like being in a weakened enough state to be like, I could hang out here for a while. Yeah. And I also, I mean, I also think like for, for Melanov, if thinking back to like the things and, and where he, where he finds his power uh, to come out, like this is the ultimate secret, like, and its existence and other people knowing of this takes away that power that he finds from it. So not only is it like too much power, but it's also the ultimate secret. So it kind of like comes out to him that like, this is something that just shouldn't exist because if I'm the only one that knows it exists, it gives me even greater power and no one else can have, can pull from this power and I can pull power just by knowing about it and no one else can know. So like, I think getting rid of it or, or hiding it or making it even harder for anyone to ever come back, like that, that is desirable to him. Like he wants to see that happen. He doesn't want anyone else to be able to follow in these footsteps. Well, you also don't like, you also have an advantage of being one of the few, if any, who have escaped and like lived to see it because you now know the secret of its location. So you could tap off of that power, whether if you can't, even if you can't destroy it, like everybody mm-hmm. else dies when they're here and you're one of the few who actually knows the secret of its existence and what it looks like. Yeah. So, oh, so um, I was, I was thinking that the word that I was going to throw into the mix was, was uh, Dalmar, which is the word for shadow and hiding it and casting it into darkness for no one else to find and Ooh. for it to not be seen. Okay. So you have, I don't know how that works with everything else though. What was that? Uh, yeah. These are, these are incredibly like abstract, like foundational concepts, and like I don't know how they work together. But, hold on, the mending of a thing that you forgot was broken. Uh, magic and shadow. You're trying to hinder. I mean, I could also. So the way I the 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 way I look at those the conceptually like how they kind of fit together. You're trying to fix a broken place, right? Like you're trying to. How is how is I'm your magic work hindering? I think I think mine speak it hinders it's an hindrance to I think if you guys are intending to get away and hide it if I'm trying to like binge out here that the magic word I use for the mending of a thing you forgot was broken is speaking to like that feeling that it like feels so good here but I could also work with you because we're having a profane word because the only instruction on the problem is one word must be profane or hindering. I don't have to hinder. So I could add the word zerem, which is full. Does that help with like full shadow magic? Well, hold on. So what is the goal of this spell is to do what? To dispel it? To cloak it? I guess to get rid of the curse, right? Like, okay. I mean, my thought, I mean, we're attacking the problem, not the location. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so we're trying to remove the curse. 
which would then allow people to leave this place, I guess. Okay. If that, if, if the curse is something that is holding everyone here and making it so that this place has become a secret, I guess in my mind and the way Melanoff sees it, he not only wants to break the curse to remove it, but he wants to hide this secret so that not only will no one ever be able to leave, but no one will ever be able to find it. So, yeah. So I think the, I think these actually then would work in that concept. Quadrionis is, it is healing with something that you don't know was broken. And like, this is a place that is literally not known because Mm. no one leaves, no one leaves it. Yeah. Zerosa is, is profane magic. Like trying to bring mundanity to a place that is somewhat sacred um, or sacred in the sense of that it, there is a presence here. There is a uh, uh, magical presence here. And Zarosa is Raziel's magic that is like, uh, like attempting to decay, negate all that kind of stuff. Dalmar is shadow, which is like you said, trying to hide it or like trying to cloak or remove the, the curse from this area. Mm-hmm. It's you're not cloaking the area. You're cloaking the curse so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. So I don't think any of these are hindering, but mine is, ver- is profane. Yes. So you roll three D six, a two, a four and a three to a total of nine, but no sixes. If no dice show their highest number, the spell is weak and only partially effective. The current player describes how the problem is solved, but only partially or temporarily. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think for Melanoff, I think, I think it's a complete failure because if he wanted not only to remove the curse, but make sure no one's ever able to find or return to this place, like we're able to leave. I think we've, we've defeated the curse, but this place now just exists. You're going to be able to see it from everywhere and every magic user around the wherever is going to be able to come to this place like a Mecca. And it's become, it's, it's going to shine like a beacon because everyone's now going to feel this, this like magic Mm. presence, like emanating out through the world. And this curse has kind of like kept it. So it's always been secrets and whispers, Mm. but now that power has been lifted. Like the dampening field has been kind of torn down and nothing's been put in its place. Mm -hmm. Something Mm. about the sort of, the effects of the profane magic made it so accessible and the shadow hide doesn't quite hide it. So now it's just like, it's not so hard to get to. It doesn't trap you as much and now everybody knows about it. Yeah. Like all we did was we removed a curse so that we could leave, but everything else is completely exposed. I mean, I think maybe think of it as like piercing a bubble. Yeah. We were able to get out and then some stuff leaked out after us and made itself aware. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. That is now more of a pull to like more and more. But also, also say the words. It's the best part. <laughs> so as as uh, Melanoff is is looking and examining this and feeling this ancient curse and seeing seeing Clay's withered hand decaying and trying to figure out how we can handle this magic and and use what we want and make sure no one else can like find this in themselves. He like reaches down inside himself and tries to find the hidden words that are going to keep his secrets to himself to like draw that power in as he whispers. And then we bop the bubble. (laughs) Because this is in, in our playthrough, the end of words describe to us. I'm going to let you go 
first on the final step of this so that you can kind of tie it to that spell failing in the way that you just described, which is uh, the last phase of the game is called speechless. So after the last words are used to cast a spell, which for our playthrough, we're saying they are, no more cards are drawn. Each player takes an additional turn to share what they learned about magic over the course of the journey. Then go around in reverse order, playing your location cards and describing what you see as you take the path home. When you arrive home, sit in silence. Maintaining the silence, every player writes a short phrase uh, in their handout that starts with, my words are blank, to indicate how their words have changed through sharing. So starting with the salt cliffs, Melanoff, describe um, what we see as we start taking the path home after we've cast the spell. I mean, I think, I think what we, I, I don't know if it's what we see so much as what we feel like what before, like we were just following, you know, vague generalities and, and like a whisper of a direction and a lead, like now we can feel this. Like as we, every step we take away from this place, we feel like, you know, some of that power that we might have been imbued with while we were there we feel it kind of leached from our body. We can almost like, it's almost like waves coming over us as like they crash against us as like where we thought we had, you know, an unlimited well to draw from. It's like everything just becomes smaller and smaller. Like the more we walk away and we just kind of like feel this like emptiness, like kind of a sense of loss. Like we were never supposed to leave. And so we kind of like, we still have some of that. Like we never quite felt right when we left to begin with. And now Mm -hmm. we feel like something is missing from within us. And so like it was, we found what we were looking for, but we found almost nothing at the same time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At least, at least Melanoff did. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And do you think that Melanoff like learned as someone who explores the feeling of like, or, or, or a deep connection to that nothingness and having experienced so many different in all the places we've been scales of fullness and emptiness in a relationship to magic. Do you think he now feels differently about like how he defines that sense of nothingness? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it affects him. It affects him differently. Like he always kind of was drawn to like that absence, but it was never, it was never a magical emptiness. It was just like, that was never gone from him. He drew from nothingness to create, nothingness but he never truly like he thought he felt nothingness but he didn't know that he didn't know that kind of feeling until now and it's kind of affected how he like relates to his magic a little bit i think there is no there is never a true absence and a true void like there is always something and Mm -hmm. like he can kind of feel the creation and the destruction like tapping you know, and like the various sides from that like void where he draws his power, he realizes like that the the true emptiness and true true nothingness is like is is always just out of grasp. And what he thought he wanted, like now he questions if if that's still the, the same thing that he's looking for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If that makes you know. yeah, yeah, totally makes sense. Is is there a disappointment or a relief with that for Melanoff? Like. Is that something that he is disappointed he's not going to be able to attain? Or is it something he's relieved that he doesn't think it is attainable? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think he's disappointed. I think he thought, like, with enough power, he'd be able to, like, find or create or just 
I feel like he's always been kind of like a hermit among people, like in a way, like he's always tried to like create nothing around him, but he needs something. And like, he thought he'd be able to like reach out and find this perfect void where he could just exist. And like, he would just have nothing but energy and raw power to like sustain him. He would need nothing in in any sort of sense of the sense of that. But like, finding that kind of balance and that existence, I think he realizes is, is completely out of his grasps because whether it doesn't exist or like the point of that existence means that he'll never be able to like actually feel it, you know, like he'll never be able to get to that point while also being able to revel in it too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Melanoff has, we've had this, we uh, has had this sort of, discovery about magic on this as we are leaving the salt cliffs and heading back into the fracture i think that we're carefully going back down knowing to avoid this toxic sludge i think that clay is just for lack of a better term just completely disillusioned and broken i think that definitely goes full never leaving the house after this and is in a sort of desperate attempt and terrified sense to like get back as fast as possible and there's something about going back through these cliffs where like you can feel in the energy this like profane magic and these like rituals that clay still doesn't know sort of anything about or can wrap their brain about but also can't penetrate it like There's been a lot of experiences, whereas I think in the ravine, magic has been so easy, easy to tap into, easy to fix a busted lip there or broken heart there. Like it's been, they've been comfortable living on fast food magic. And there's something about recognizing how much they don't have control over their magic or understand about their magic and understand their magic in relation to like such great like beings like between the salt cliffs being such a powerful place that felt so wonderful and now being back in this place that like fundamentally like just by fucking around with magic trying to get out of it has like ruined their hand and now they're getting ready to go back through they know that they have to go back through this terrible place where they're pretty sure some horror is waiting for them i think clay is just like jittery and like any addict is who struggles with their addiction is having a real hard time being like, I think this is the thing that scared me sober. Like no more magic. I don't want to say another word. I don't want to touch this stuff with a 10 foot pole. But if enough time is spent in the ravine, maybe they might fall back into old habits. But now that there's this like looming ever present thing of this ancient magical well that we like pierced and started bleeding out i feel like it will always call to them and that they'll always sort of like need to go they know where it is it felt so good it's the only thing that calms the hand i think going back to like the town like this hand is like always a problem they're like ah but back at the back of the cliffs it like quieted a little bit so i think that they definitely started to go crazy and just naturally are a hindrance on the last few steps back to town they're like disintegrating on this way back home. You don't think that the, um, that the power that's coming from that place. I mean, I know it's, it's a draw to you, right? Like it, like it has this call to you even when you're at a distance, but you don't, you don't think clay found any kind of like hope or 
inspiration from like the 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 restorative ability that that could potentially grant i think there is because they were traveling with two other arcanists who sort of pulled the veil away and were like we got to get out of here i think that clay saw the like dark side of that like clay has like never thought that there was a bad side to restoring something to mending something and it was this recognition of like too much of a good thing and that you can actually like and i think that recognition of the mountain of bones and everything just horrified them to like not even see the good in it to be like oh i've been living a lie like i've made all these excuses for what i'm doing but like this is what it looks like in its most horrific form i think wondrous but like horrific wonder for clay like does he withdraw or does he does he speak of this i guess i wonder not until sometime later where the pain in their cinder decay hand gets unbearable and they feel that they need to go back to that source um i guess for raziel's part i think raziel is the only person who feels augmented in her power on the return from that because Rosia had that experience in Fracture, in the Fracture. Rosia had that experience of combating an actual defeatable evil at the uh, the shores of terror. And I think passing by that, again, reminds Rosia that there is power to be had and there is power to be won. And at the same time, there are things in this world that are antithetical to the expression of that power. And I think Rosia is more emboldened. Raziel sees the survival of a particular flavor of magic as the best ultimate outcome. I think I think we've talked about particular flavors of magic and whatnot. And I think Raziel sees himself as kind of a soldier or a, a stalwart of that particular flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we left behind at the Salt Cliffs is antithetical. It is a thing that should not be. Mm-hmm. And Rossio's own actions, along with everyone else, punctured that. Mm-hmm. And I think that only by honing the words and honing the abilities that Rossio has is the only way what has leaked out can be contained again. Mm-hmm. I think that Rossio is more emboldened to do that. I think going to going back to town, they hone their craft. And eventually, alone, strike back out to to find stuff like that and like change the flavor of the magic in the world. In that sense, mm. so Raziel becomes a bit of a uh, not necessarily like a preacher because you're on a solo mission, but takes it upon you know herself to change the state of the world of magic. I mean, there is a religious element to it. Think of it as, think of Raziel as, as kind of like an inquisitor, mm. stamping out other religions, flavors, or whatnot of these things uh, because of the belief in their own power of this is what works and this is what has the ability for me. And in order to make that stronger, everything else has to be decayed or removed. All right. You're like poisoning all other magics. You're like you're going around corrupting other springs of power and trying to like create this decay everywhere you go. 
It's that sense, but think, don't think of it so much as decay as it is profaning, quite yeah. literally. Yeah. yeah. Like making the other things inert by the injection of this profane magic. Yeah. It, it, it removes it. It doesn't make it decrepit. Well, yeah, you're belittling, yeah. in essence, you're belittling other ways of accessing this or other flavors of magic, um, while also not so subtly holding up your own, which is also one that's like, I mean, don't hold up any, but I mean, this is the way to do magic. Yeah, I'm, I'm again, to completely take the, the flavor metaphor, this would be like... Your salt bay? Kind of. I mean, it, it. think of it more like a food critic. Okay, okay, yeah. Saying like, this restaurant like does steaks ultra rare and that is not the way to have steak <laughs> right 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 yeah. yeah yeah and this place has it well done that's also not the way to do it it's you have to do these spices like this marinade like it is that particular thing and it is a point of view that raziel ascribes to and is trying to propagate pepper crust reverse sear only yes yeah kind yeah. kind of except metaphysical forces not <laughs> right right, right. <laughs> Uh, all right. So the last piece of this is that we have to write down the sentence, my words are, and uh, to indicate how our words have changed through uh, this journey. I have mine whenever y'all are ready. I think I have mine. Okay. I think so too. Okay. Uh, Melanoff. My words are useless. My words are dead to me. My words are true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it I mean it really does work. I mean yeah. if your whole point is to undo and say that, you know, the other ways are not the way, you we it definitely turned out that way in the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um all right, that um that was spoken magic. We will do a part 2 episode on this with a deep dive with Mike and I, but um uh, before we let Chris go, uh Chris Thank you for going on this magical arcanist journey with us uh, into a very dark and treacherous world that we created together. Do you have any quick, fast thoughts and reactions? Yeah, no, I mean, I thought it was really interesting. I'm curious to see how how the game would play out if we had played it throughout all the cards to see, because I think that repetition would would create an interesting dynamic as we're kind of peppered back with some of the some of the words that we've used in the past and see what could come of that. Yep. You know, I think it would it would change the dynamic. And obviously, like a longer experience, I think we'd have obviously more experiences to draw on. So I'm intrigued to see where the story could have gone. You know, I think I think those first three rounds were like a really fun taste. And I think like the story that we were starting to tell there, you know, was only going to get more interesting. And mm -hmm. like, I can only imagine what the journey that we could have gone on would have been. And I think it would have I think it would have been very different had we had we played it out, uh, you know. Uh, however many rounds it would have actually lasted like seven or eight or I guess I left feeling we've only just begun and I could see 100% I could see how this is a great opportunity to either multi-session or one long ass day to really get in there and and you know we only just scratch the surface of our relationship to each other I think there's something more there that with more time the way that spells and language are defined and what they mean and how they start to feel and how we start to find the ways that our magics interact. I think there's something in this storyline of like Raziel's magic being the one way to do it. It'd be interesting if over the rounds, like naturally all of Mike's starter words were the ones that hung around longer than the other ones. Like, mm -hmm. you know, that's interesting to sort of see what happens over time. Mike? 
I mean, also like, yeah, there's, I, I definitely agree. I think that felt like the beginning of the story, not necessarily the story. I wonder if we had continued, if there would have been changes to how we perceived our magic. Totally. I could very easily see, you know, where Melanoff and Clay ended up is like the dark before the dawn and where Raziel ended up being like, you know, the pride before a fall. Like there, I think there could have been more ebbs and flows to this, or it could have just basically been continued like, uh, and and we would have gotten the same result with uh, you guys disillusioned and Raziel ascendant. I'm not sure. I have a lot of thoughts I need to digest, mm-hmm. uh, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very cerebral game, so uh, I think I think we'll talk about it more in the review. But I agree. Yeah, definitely for sure. I feel like this is one that I have. I mean, I had a lot of thoughts and feels going into it after I watched that one, and now playing it. Yeah, but I, I I want to stew with them a little bit, but I think it was it was this, it it was a successful. You know what? If this was the teaser prologue of a you know a wizard novel, I'd be I'd be like, what is this world? If this was one of those like Sanderson chapters where it's like from another part of the world, and then it like cuts to the real story, I'd be like, what is this world? <laughs> uh, which I think is pretty fun. Uh, well, Chris, yeah. thank you so much for taking the time uh, to to play this game with us. Uh, it's always so uh, wonderful to see you, and it's wonderful to play with new friends. Uh, that will be it for Spoken Magic. Uh, you can, if you want to play yourself, get the game for $15, either via the Roll20 um, module plugin that you can buy or uh, direct from Dylan Grinder at ANA. R-I-S-I-S dot itch dot I-O slash spoken dash magic. That's spoken magic by Dylan Grinder. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in for our review, which we will post after this. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your listening platform of choice so you can know just when the next sweet, sweet, sweet episode airs. If you have any comments or questions for us, or if you have any suggestions for games that we should take on in the future, please drop us a line at ostkpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at ostkpodcast. Thank you all so much for listening and be well. Snoring? Yes. Cash. Hey, I assume you edit, right? Yeah, I'm keeping this in. <laughs> it's okay, boo-boo. Disclaimer, this episode features puppy snores throughout the episode. Please do not be distracted. <laughs>